Ecclesiastes 3. We have been moving right along through Ecclesiastes. We looked at the first 15 verses last week, and we'll look at the last few verses of Ecclesiastes 3 tonight. They are following the same theme that we have seen, and particularly in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, and that is life is a bummer, and uh, we probably have days where we, where we feel that more than others, as the writer of Ecclesiastes did. There are some days where it seems like everything is meaningless. However, the realization that the writer of Ecclesiastes came to, and hopefully you and I come to on those days as well, is that God is still good, and that is all that matters in this world. So, Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father God, we come to you. I thank you for these good words. And, and God, these verses tonight, they're kind of, they're kind of a downer, dear Lord. But, but then again, that's kind of true to how life is, God. There are some days where we probably feel just like this. And maybe today for some of us in this room is one of those days where we feel as though everything is just meaningless. If we feel that, dear Lord, I pray that we would, that we would seek to find meaning in you. Maybe life is meaningless for us, dear Lord, because we've been seeking meaning in things that don't make a difference. But God, let us find meaning in you. So, dear Lord, even though these words are kind of a kind of a bummer tonight, in a way, uh, let them let them be uh, bring some encouragement to us, God, if they may. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse sixteen. I also observed under the sun, now that's a phrase that we see often throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun, that is to say, all the things that are on this earth, all the things that we are involved in, all the things that we can see, that's what he's meaning here when he says under the sun. I also observed under the sun, there is wickedness at the place of judgment, and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. Now, uh, perhaps we see that in our life, that there is wickedness all around. Perhaps when he says the place of judgment here, perhaps he's talking about some type of court setting, and that even in a court of law where justice is to be served and right is to be is to be uh, unpunished and wrong is to be punished, perhaps he's acknowledging some corruption there. In an area where wickedness is supposed to be dealt with, there is yet more wickedness in the place of judging. That may be what he's speaking of there. And there is also wickedness at the place of righteousness, places where there shouldn't be wickedness. There is wickedness all around. Perhaps we even see such wickedness in our life in places of righteousness around brothers and sisters of Christ. Uh, in churches, that's a sad thing when wickedness begins to run rampant in a church. And But sometimes we see these things. This is part of what life is. There is wickedness all around, even in places where there should not be, there is wickedness. And that's kind of frustrating, right? It's kind of disappointing for us when we look around our world, when we when we see wickedness all around us in places where we don't think people should be wicked, and yet we see wickedness rear its ugly head. That's a disappointing thing, and it was for the writer of Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, since there is a time for every activity and every 
work. Okay, so if there's wickedness in this world, wickedness that should go punish, which goes unpunished, and, and that's been the history uh, of, of the world throughout the world, and we see it in our world today. There are some people that do some wicked and evil things, and yet it seems as though they go completely unpunished, and that is a very frustrating thing. Because you say, man, why don't, why don't these people who are doing this wrong, why aren't they punished? Why aren't they held accountable? And many people in this world will do all types of evil and yet will never be held accountable in this world. However, the writer of Ecclesiastes knows that that will not be the case for eternity. That there is coming a day when the wickedness that seems to run rampant and unchecked in this world will go before God. And what does he say? God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Okay, praise the Lord for the righteous who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and we have been made righteous through Jesus Christ. When we stand before God to judge, we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our sins are dealt with. Jesus has paid the ransom on our behalf. He has taken the punishment that you and I deserve, praise the Lord, but not so for the wicked. Not so for those who continue to live in their wickedness and continue to live in sin and refuse to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Their sins have not been covered. The price that Jesus paid did not cover them, not because Jesus' ransom was not sufficient, but because they chose to reject it. And so for those wicked, they will bear the punishment of their sin. And so God will one day judge the righteous and the wicked, and the wicked will not get away unpunished. And what does he say? There is a time in, uh, for every activity and every work. Now, this is what we talked about in great detail last week, that there is a time for everything, the good things and the bad thing. And everything is appropriate in its time, or everything is beautiful in its time. And, and so it will be when God brings judgment. It is frustrating for us today, perhaps, to see wickedness abound. It is frustrating to see wickedness go unpunished. But what we need to remember, too, is that sometimes we are the wicked men and women. So we, if we say we want wickedness not to abound, there may be occasion that we need to check our own life and make sure that we aren't living in wickedness ourselves. But to know that, look, when all is said and done, God will deal with things the way they need to be dealt with. So we need not fret in this world that people are, are getting away with something because nobody is getting away with anything. We may get away with something for a little while, but no one will get away with anything for eternity. We will all stand before the Lord, which is what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. When the all is said and done at the end of the matter, there is nothing left but to Fear God and keep his commands, okay? So if we know that all of us will stand before God one day, that we are all wicked in our sin, then what is our hope knowing that we will stand before God? Well, our hope is in Jesus Christ. That's where our hope comes. And so even though we are all wicked sinners apart from Jesus Christ, we are made whole and a new creation through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, I said to myself, this happens concerning people so that God may test them and they may see for themselves that they are like animals. Uh, so perhaps there is some good in our life on those occasions when we test ourselves because maybe it's easy for us to look around and point out everyone else's evils and their wickedness, 
but perhaps it's much harder for us to see the wickedness that is in our own heart. Uh, maybe there are those occasions, as the scripture says, that we need to test ourselves. Maybe we discover that there are things in our life and our heart that should not be there. Maybe we just we discover that we are like animals, that we are like beasts, that we are the wicked ones. He goes on to say in verse 19, For the fate of people and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. People have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. All are going to the same place. All come from the dust and all return from the dust. And so he says, at the end of the day when all is said and done, he said, look, humanity is going to die just like the animals. And so this is kind of a depressing thing. What's the point of life? Everything is meaningless because at the end of it all, the humans are no better than animals in a sense, he would say, because at the end we're all going back to the dust in which we have come from. And then he says in verse 21, who knows if the spirit of people rises upward and the spirit of animals goes downward to the earth. Now, this is an interesting verse. I guess if we wanted to read uh, too much into it, we, we might could say, well, maybe he's saying there that this is in some way saying that perhaps animals will be in heaven for eternity. Well, maybe that's what he's saying, but I believe that would be reading way too much into that passage. Now, often people say, uh, will, will our pets be in heaven? I don't know the answer to that. The Bible doesn't uh, specify so far as I can tell uh, one way or another, and I certainly don't think that this verse would be a, a proof text uh, for that. But, but I think what he's saying simply here is he's saying, look, who knows what's going to happen at the end of this life? What's life going to be like? We are no better than animals. We live like them. We die like them. And maybe we all end up in the ground at the end of our life. Maybe our spirit goes nowhere. Now, this seems like pretty pretty strong language, right? That we're like animals, that we're like beasts, that we're going to live and we're going to die. And who's going to know what's going to happen to us? Well, I believe he's speaking some hyperbole here. I believe he's speaking exaggeration here, right? When you're in the midst of, of just being depressed and being angry and being mad and, and feeling like everything's meaningless, perhaps you have said such things like that before. I hate this place. I hate this job. I hate these people. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go live on the street, get my free cell phone, and just go eat at the soup kitchen. I'm done with this life. I don't want no more to do with this, right? We say things like that sometimes, and we exaggerate in the midst of our, of our depression and our, and our anger and our madness and the meaningless and the stress of work and school and church. And, and there are some days we just, we just go off. I'm, just, I'm, I'm selling everything, and I'm moving to another country. That's it. I'm done. But, but usually we don't do those things that we, that we say because we know better than those things. And so we speak in some hyperbole. We speak with some exaggeration. And I think that that's probably what's being said here. In the midst of, of, of the writing of these things, that life is just meaningless, I just, it's just not fair, I, I work hard, I'm wise, and the foolish person, they're as foolish as they can be, and yet I have to work hard to pay for them. And all of these things that he's already talked about that just, that just burn him up and burn us up. And man, if we were writing something like this down, a letter like this down, uh, and, and some of our deep, dark times when we were really stressed and just felt like life was meaningless, our language may be similar to this. But, but even though he uses this language of who knows where the spirit goes when we die, whether it's human or animals, 
we know that, that he knows better than this. He may, he may be using this, this language here, but if you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, you can see uh, that he does, in fact, recognize where the spirit of humanity goes. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, it's similar language to what we see here in Ecclesiastes 3 about returning to the dust. Now, the verses before this, and we'll get there at some point in Ecclesiastes 12, uh, talk about its symbolic language about one day we're going to get old and we're not going to be able to see and we're not going to be able to hear and we're not going to be able to... to our, our, our teeth aren't going to work and, and we're going to be afraid to get out on the, on the street because it's going to be a scary place for us, right? That's what happens when we get older. Anyway, that's a preview of what's coming. But but at the end of that, after, after you get old and everything is wore out and you've, you've done all you can do, at the end of the day, we're all going back to the dust from which we came. And he says in verse 7, And the dust returns to the earth as it once was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. So that gives us an idea there. When we look at, at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, the writer here is not saying, Oh, wait a minute, I don't know what's going to happen in this afterlife. I don't know if there's any hope or there's any help for us. Because he says... At the end of the writing here, he says the spirit goes back to God. So he acknowledges that. Maybe at this point of the writing, maybe he's exaggerating a little bit, but he acknowledges, at least on whatever level he understood it, that the spirit goes back to God. Now, I think it's safe to say on some level that that the, the people of the Old Testament, they, they may not have understood eternal life in the way that we understand it since we have Jesus in the New Testament. They certainly, uh, on some level, believed that, they would, that there was something in the afterlife, I believe. We see David when his child dies. He said, he won't return to me, but, but I will go to him. We see that there's some knowledge of, of a life to come. Uh, what their understanding of that was, I'm not certain, but there is some understanding. We see that here in the book of Ecclesiastes in 12.7 where he says, look, when we all go back to the dust, that is, our bodies go into the dust, our spirit goes to the Lord. Verse 22, I have seen that there is nothing better than for a, per for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? So, the same type of language we've seen already up to this point in Ecclesiastes. Uh, if, if life is a bummer and you're going to live and you're going to die and you're going you're gonna to do everything right and it's not going to work out and some people are going to do everything wrong and it's going to work out and life's not fair and everything is meaningless, you have, you have wealth, you have all fame and all the things you could want only to discover that it means nothing to you, he comes to the same conclusion here that we have seen already in the book and that is there is nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities, because that is his reward. So in this life, we must enjoy life to some extent. We have to be careful, I think, with passages like these. I don't, I don't think that, that, that the writer throughout this book is entirely saying life is meaningless, so just eat, drink, and be merry and do what you want to do. Now, he uses similar language to that, but, but I don't think that he means it perhaps in the way that, that, that sometimes people would interpret it. You only live once, right? You see, you see that a lot. YOLO, Y-O-L-O, -O, you only live once. You may have seen YOLO all over the place and you had no idea what that meant. Well, I just educated you. It means you only live once. 
That's the mindset of our world, right? I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter how good or how bad it is. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do the things I want, and, and, and it doesn't matter, right? You only live once. Well, we may be tempted when we read the book of Ecclesiastes to think that that's what the writer here is saying, but I don't think that that is what he is saying, and I think it's pretty clear that that's not what he is saying. Because if that's what he was saying, he would not tell us at the end of the book, there's only one thing that matters when all is said and done, and that is fear the Lord and keep his commands. Uh, if, if, he, if he said there's no meaning to life and we don't know where the Spirit goes, he would have said, go have a party all the time and don't worry about it. And he uses language in that way in a sense. But I think it's more so in the sense that there is some enjoyment to be had in this life, right? We work and we need to enjoy some of the things that we work for. And we need to enjoy some of the food we eat. I mean, not everything in this world is evil. God made this world and it was beautiful and it was perfect. And there are many things that God blesses us with in this world that we are to enjoy. And that, as the author of Ecclesiastes would say, that's our reward, right? There is some enjoyment to be had in this life. We can't look at this world and say just because there's some evil here that everything is evil. No, there is some good. There is some beautiful. There is some blessing. And we need to enjoy those things without going overboard. We need to enjoy the finer things of life without, without making them our God, without seeking meaning in those things. We, we need to realize that any meaning to be found in life is in God, but, but God also gives us some things in this life for us to enjoy. And so he's not saying, go out and party and do what you want to. He still says, keep God's commands. And if we're keeping God's commands, then we certainly know as we read through Scripture that there are certainly things that God tells us not to do that are not good for us, that are sinful for us, that are dangerous for us. And so to sum up what we have said every week that we've been in this so far, is life is sometimes a bummer. There are seasons in life where life is difficult. There are seasons in life, and maybe even tonight, some of you read these words and hear these words and think about the words we have read, and you feel that way. You just feel like, I'm just done with life. I'm, I'm, I'm finished with life. But this season, hopefully, will pass. And if you've lived for any length of time, you know that there are ups and downs. There are good days and there are bad days. So if you're in the midst of a bad day where life seems meaningless for you today, find meaning in the Lord. And remember what the author of Ecclesiastes says. When all is said and done, no matter what else goes on around you, no matter how bad things may look, the end of the matter is this, that we fear the Lord and keep his commands. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these words, even though they are kind of a kind of a downer, some of this stuff that we see. But God, I pray that even through these words, that they lift us up, that they point us to you, dear Lord. That's what the author of Ecclesiastes is doing here. When all is said and done, he is pointing us to you. So God, I pray that we learn the lesson that this writer of Ecclesiastes has already learned, that many things in this life are meaningless. So let us, let us not continue to try to find meaning in them. But God, let us... Uh, enjoy the things that you have blessed us with that are good, and let us seek you above and beyond anything in this world. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.